0: It was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan.
1: It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away.
0: The, you know, the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing.
1: Oh yeah, that's
0: super simple and
2: direct question.
1: It's always fun to get to speak about beer.
2: And that's what we're here to do, talk about beer. I'm Claire Burnett, Senior Journalist at brewsnews.com.au, and this week I'm sitting down with Nat and Callum Reeves, founders of Kaiju Beer in Melbourne, launched in 2013 uh, with a double IPA called Aftermath. Uh, Kaiju is celebrating this year after opening its venue, the Kaiju Cantina, in the suburb of Huntingdale, uh, in addition to their original home in Dandenong, which only expanded its canning line last year after securing a grant from the Victorian government's small-scale and craft programme, as well as investing in a custom 50-heck brew house house uh so it's been a really big year and a busy time for kaiju so uh thanks very much for coming on beer is a conversation guys
1: mm, thanks for, for, having, for us. having us
2: you've not been on beer is a conversation before i don't believe guys um so i'm really excited to have you on today um how's everything going oh
1: everything's going great i i think yeah we you know we're still i think we're still having fun i'm i'm, I'm still having fun um you know we're, we're nearly we're nearly up to 10 years of this and uh we just keep doing different, different things, and and we 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 just seem to have a lot of fun along the way. We still like each other, so yeah. Well, that That's is support. the key
2: thing. <laughs> <laughs> and have there been any points when you haven't liked each other?
1: Uh, uh, <laughs> a
0: yes. couple, <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, just butting of heads. Yeah.
1: But that's so we, that's normal.
2: Yeah, that's fair.
1: Well, I, I think that look the biggest the biggest thing was uh, was trying to get labels on bottles. I think that was probably <laughs> our biggest headache. And the best day that we ever had in business was when we when we first uh, well probably when we got rid of the, the bottling line that we had and just went exclusively to cans it was one of the best days of my life.
2: interesting okay I'm gonna have to hear about your top 10 later on yeah (laughs) Uh, but for now uh, you guys are sat in the back office of the Kaiju Cantina so tell me a little bit about your new venue why did you want to invest in it after being so successful as a production brewery for so long
0: Uh, yeah we always felt like that just having a production facility meant that there was nowhere that um, people could come to actually enjoy our beer and like have it fresh all the time and when it comes down to it, like originally when I first started brewing at home, um, I my idea was to have a very small brew pub somewhere out in the country or something like that. Pretend that I'm, you know, like Hugh Fernsley Whittingstall or something like that, and just be one of those guys. Something which I am not not able to do. Uh, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, the we just kind of thought that. Yeah, you know, we needed something like this, and it's you know it's been a long, a long time in the in the making, um, and the the idea for it has always been there. Um, it's just that it took took Callum to get it kind of up and going because um, I don't know, getting th- changing things like doing something new like this is is uh, not not my forte doing things like that. So yeah, the. The production brewery is you know, that's a massive part of, of what goes on, but we also just need somewhere for, for people to come and, and have the kaiju experience, I guess. I think Callum's better explaining that kind of stuff, but yeah, for me it was it's just kind of like a dream come true, really, like just come around to this to this part, um, to have a bar that people can come and, and drink our beer fresh. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And
2: I mean, are you glad you did it this way around?
0: I don't know. I've you know, it it kind of seems like when I look from the outside, I'm like, oh yeah, the people who have done a brew pub first and then they like contract brew their their big volume stuff and then they'll build a brewery after that. I kind of look at that and go, geez, that looks like it's a really smart way to go. But I mean, you've got, I guess there are so many things that you have to deal with with running a hospitality venue, and 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 then there's all the things that you'd have to deal with running a hospitality venue inside your production facility. Um, there's just yeah, you know, there's so many things like what do you you got got to get your spent grain somewhere? You're going to have trucks coming and going. Um, it's you know segregating the patrons from what's actually going on in the production facility. And you know there's lots of breweries that do it very very well, but I think you really have to have a, a site that's perfectly set up to actually to work like that.
1: The other thing is that if you consider ten years ago, um, the brewpub model wasn't really as popular as it as it is now, like it's really kind of happened, maybe in the last five to seven years that, that a lot of a lot of places have really um, been building brew pubs. You know, ten years ago there weren't there weren't that there weren't that many of them, and it's over that period it's become a lot easier. You know, equipment has become so much cheaper and uh, and that sort of thing. Um, so I I certainly I don't I don't regret not um, the way the way around that we've done it. It's also given us the opportunity to really make the Kaiju Cantina a perfect space. It's really what we wanted it to be, um, partially because we had, um, you know, we basically uh, draining the main business of funds to, to, to build this. But also, you know, in some way with COVID, we've had two and a half years to think about this. We, we got the, the lease on this place in 2019. Since then, you know, and we had designs, we had designs ready to go in March, somewhere like February, March 2020, even before that. And yeah, but with COVID, it's kind of given us the opportunity to even iterate on on those designs and, and really just, you know, just get everything really quite. there's not much that I would that I would change here which is um you know it's pretty cool
2: so how did you find the situation over COVID because you say you've had the place for a while so presumably you were paying a lease on that Mm. um how was it getting that development application through council um and you've moved into Huntingdale where I believe there aren't any other breweries so how did the council deal with you as a brew pub did they understand what you wanted to do
1: no we were I think it would have been the first um, application for a brew pub in the the entire city of Monash. Um, And so our first meeting with council uh, did scare me a bit, um, where the first thing they said was, well, parking's going to be an issue. Have you thought about building an underground car park? (laughs) And um, that really scared me. Um, but from then on, they've just been so helpful, um, and I think it. I think it does fit in with what with what the local council is trying to do, um, you know, which is make it a vibrant kind of area, more of a, a, a food and shopping destination, and something like something like Kaiju Cantina being in the like one of the industrial areas in the in the city of Monash. It's um, it kind of works really well into what into what they're trying to do. I mean, Huntingdale is a very, very tiny
0: suburb that's basically like a few streets of industrial, like there's some residential in there, but it's, this is a very, very small industrial area that we're in. It's, it's tiny. So, um, yeah, for them to want to make it into a, a precinct, it's, yeah, it makes sense.
2: That's interesting as well. Like location is obviously key when developing a venue. Was it a deciding factor that there weren't a lot of breweries in the vicinity? You didn't want to move to an inner west sort of place?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, We didn't want to be too close to any of our friends. (laughs) Um, And and also just, you know, just having a bit more of, I guess, like our own kind of, Little kind of uh, area to, to draw upon for for um, for customers. That was that was a part of um, a part of it. Like the, but um, you know we're so close to Monash University here. We're close to the Monash train Station. <laughs> the train station's less than five minutes walk away. Responsible drinking, and,
2: like that, guys. Yep, well done.
1: Exactly. But so far, like a lot of the clientele is locals. Like it's people who live locally and literally walk down. Um, which is so cool. So um, the, the the other thing that's in this area is um, is Pixel Bar, which is where people where you can go and play games and have a and have a drink, like play um you know like board games or um, I think they have some some like land games and stuff like that there. So yeah, it's it it could be could be a bit of a kind of becoming a bit of a a destination for for that kind of thing.
2: Awesome. And I think that's key as well. As you mentioned, local people getting on board, making it a community place. That's what so many brew pubs want. Uh, for some, it comes organically. Some have to work a bit harder. But you really have a captive audience there. Uh, I know you've only been there one week. Um, but how have you found the hospitality side of things? You've not had to do that or deal with that to this level before. How have you found it when you've been focusing on brewing and selling beer for so long and now you have this whole separate part of the business to focus on?
1: Well, from my perspective, um, Nat has. You know, Nat has really kind of – stepped up in the in the brewery since i've been working pretty pretty hard on the on the cantina project um and that has given me the freedom to to spend a lot more time on the on the project and uh you know and we developed a, a really good uh, a really good team uh you know front of house um and uh and in the kitchen to deliver a great brew pub restaurant offering here yes it, it it's it's a lot to it's a lot to uh, to deal with having having the uh, the main brewery as well as as well as the cantina but we've got a great team that we've assembled over the years like obviously nat and um, fee who's our who's our general manager who is just an absolute gun um, and she is across she is across everything um, which you know we we'd be you know it's it, We couldn't live without her so it's it's really um it's really awesome to have people like that on the team to help us get to where to where we are and be able to do both of the things at the same time and it's like i mean you know clearly we're we're pretty drained after the after the whole thing um but but um you know it is it is really satisfying
2: so imagine you've uh, expanded your staff as well before you would have just had brewery and sales staff. Has it been okay finding staff? Uh, I know there's been a lot of discussion out there about the difficulty of attracting people back to hospitality. so how have you found that?
1: Yeah, um kitchen staff have been really really hard um but we have a we have a really good chef who's um, like his his pizzas are amazing, so that's um, that is a great start but front of house um I think we've got a we've got a, a reasonably good name in the in the industry that that people will want to come and work for us. And once they see the space um, and you know and taste the pizza, maybe and and have a beer, it hasn't been too hard to to find staff for the floor. So and that's been good. And they and they're just a, it's a you know it's a really great group of of staff as well. They they're just you know they they're they're passionate about service and they're passionate about beer um, and and the food. So. Kitchens very difficult, but front of house is, um, is you know, it's really good and, uh, and it's a really exciting crew.
2: Excellent. Nice one. So you survived your first week. Are we going to open five to ten more? Are we going to go multi-venue here, guys?
1: <laughs> oh, God.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know. And it's early days and I'm already on oh, to the next thing.
1: Yeah, why not? Yeah. Um, I, uh, I uh, yeah, I probably need a, a, a bit of time um, to to regret doing it. Um, yeah, oh, look, there's, a, there's nothing to say that we that we wouldn't do that, but it, you know, like I said, it's um, like it's been an expensive project, and uh, and it and it does kind of draw your your attention, uh, and you know, like I don't feel like we're spread thin with having the brewery and the and the cantina at the moment, but. Um, you know, really because the cantina is really about experiencing the Kaiju brand and really like what exists in our heads as the, as the Kaiju brand, um, it's important that that's kind of delivered every day to people who come in. So at this stage, you know, I think probably just, um, just sticking to this one for a while and really seeing what works. And if it, and you know, if, if we, if we feel like a, a great opportunity comes up uh, somewhere else, then sure. <laughs> I, I don't
2: know. <laughs> oh, love it. Yeah. You heard it here but first, hey, everyone.
1: Uh, this is a, an... A, I have not thought about that at all myself so you know you, uh, I'm just uh, I'm spitballing ideas in my mind right now, you know? <laughs> Love it that's what we're
2: here for that's what we do on beer is a conversation podcasts. Yeah. we spitball. <laughs> now you mentioned when you started 10 years ago there wasn't really the brewpub model in the same way that it is has developed now um it really has developed into the go-to for new breweries. So why do you think that is? Uh, and even now, despite the challenges COVID has placed on hospitality, why do people like the brew pub model so much?
0: Like if you set it up in the right spot and there's not so many other brew pubs around you or anything, then you do have that – you've got the customers you know, around you um, and then it's their kind of local brewery. Um, when, when you're starting up as a production facility, you're automatically putting your beer somewhere where you're not a local. And I think that's, that's probably important to, to some people. It works really well because you have, you can just put it somewhere. You can put a brew pub somewhere and you make the beer there and you don't actually have to send it that far away. Um, and so you don't have, and you also don't have to invest in things like, uh, packaging lines, which... When it comes down to it, are the most expensive um, piece of machinery in your brewery, um, and you can just guarantee like this is this is my beer that I've made, and I'm serving it at my bar, and that's everyone is getting exactly the beer that that I want it to be, and there's not so many um, variables in the way that your beer ends up in the hands of a of a of a drinker.
1: You know, and and the way that you get rid of those variables as a production brewery is. Is to spend heaps and Lots heaps of money. money on your on your <laughs> on your packaging, your testing, your staff. Um, you know, like both both models are expensive to do. Um, but yeah, yeah um, you know, you, you sort of put that risk factor in there when it when it goes out the door. It's like you know, I've crafted my baby to this point, and then it and then it, it sort of goes out the door into the into the wide world. And we've done the best that we can to make sure that it tastes amazing when it when it gets consumed. Yeah, certainly, massive layers of complexity to that. Um, yeah, and the brew pub, the brew pub model. You know, like from a financial perspective, you're not signing sixty day terms or anything like that. The money goes into your account when you sell it, um, and that is that is really good for for cash flow.
2: Brilliant. And I guess this is just an observation for me. You make the point that um, you know. If you're a local brew pub and you're being seen as the local brew pub, I imagine it's difficult if you've tied your brand and everything you do to your locality, it must be hard to move out of that space and gain traction with, with wider audiences. Um, but Kaiju isn't tied to a specific area. I don't know whether you intended it, but that's how it seemed to work out that you could, um, you know, be a bit more of a general brand and then uh, choose a locality later on. Is that how, how you planned it?
1: that yeah that's kind of a um the sort of lucky that it happened kind of a thing it's, it's something that we kind of figured out on the way was that uh as we were developing the brand we were just developing a brand that we really loved um and we really wanted we really thought that people like us would want to be involved with and um you know and uh, and enjoy and in that we, we you know neither Nat nor I have any kind of Great parochialness in our nature, I guess we're not, um, you, you know, like we, we haven't we haven't been massively parochial, but it but it kind of it kind of did become clear that the brand could be from anywhere, particularly when people started saying to us, "Oh, you're that um, American brand, or oh, you're that New Zealand brand, or is this Japanese beer?" Um, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, we haven't communicated, like our brand isn't known for a place, um, yeah. Even though um, we we do feel a, a strong affinity to the to the southeast of, of Melbourne, you know, having grown up here, I'm sure we, I'm sure it all looks very clever and calculated from the outside. You know that we just kind of fell into this a, a situation. There's a lot more luck, I guess, than uh, than calculation in a lot of what we do.
2: I think people underestimate how much of success is actually luck. To be honest. Uh, But one place that has done it hard uh, during COVID is Melbourne. Uh, Melbourne was hit super hard with lockdowns. I remember writing about and talking to brewers in Melbourne when COVID hit, uh, when it first hit and then it lasted so long. uh, Everyone got so down. Uh, How were you guys through that? How did Kaiju do do through that?
0: I think the first month of the lockdown, it just production basically stopped. Um, Obviously, we lost all of our keg sales overnight. Um, but considering, you know, keg sales are a small part of our our business. Our business has been mostly cans. So, and because we were in Dan's, um, we, and we were just set up for, you know, packing beer into cans and getting those cans out of the brewery and getting them on shelves that like, after that initial downturn, we certainly made up for the, the lack of keg sales with, um, with can sales. Yeah, and we didn't have a we didn't obviously we didn't have a brew pub, we didn't have a any kind of hospitality thing. So we kept everybody uh we didn't we didn't have to lose any um staff. If things just went on as normal in the brewery uh but you know with wearing masks and and everything like that. Uh but it was really yeah, awful actually.
1: It was, it was an upsetting <laughs> It was upsetting to everyone working. You know, we we, we had we all had jobs. Um, it it just the feeling in Melbourne was just it's so. It was it was quite it was quite down. Yeah.
2: Are we coming out of it now though? Oh,
1: I feel like very slowly. Um, yes. <laughs> like I, this is, and what people have say, been saying about the shadow lockdown is really true. Like. Um, the rules are the rules are kind of have been easing, but um, but people that there's also more ca- there's also more cases than there ever were before December 2021. So um, people are are kind of taking it easy, not going out as much um, at the moment, and that sort of thing. And I think it is going to take a fair while to really come back. I mean, if you look at the um, you know, I was in, I was in the, the Melbourne CBD a couple of weeks ago and it was, it was just so quiet and it has been so quiet. It's, it's not, de- it, it's not depressing. I mean, it's such a beautiful city, you know, it's nice to walk around when it's quiet, but, um, but it just was, you know, like it does, it does feel that, that, um, that vibrancy, um, I think it's going to take a while to come back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is a shame. And I and I think um and I and like a lot of our hospitality customers, like um, our on premise customers, um, have have seen that. But I do think just slowly, slowly we're we're kinda of clawing back and we'll get our confidence more. Um, you know, I think people just don't want to get sick and you don't want to test positive, even if you even if you're not gonna get very sick, because it means you've got to sit at home. You have to sit at home for seven days.
2: Yeah, that's you know, that's... It and consumer confidence has taken a dive just generally people are much more used to being a bit more cautious and that was something I was speaking about with Lauren Jack last week and I know lots of other states are feeling that as well especially now there's been a bit of a delayed reaction COVID's out in the community Uh, there are changing rules about isolations and restrictions so we're going to have to deal with that as an industry whether you do wholesale whether you have a venue. but it does validate Kaiju's strategy. You went from being a production brewery before and during COVID to having a venue. Now we're popping out the other side, fingers crossed. Uh, was it genius or luck or was it just beautifully planned?
1: Uh, I, don't, I don't know about beautifully um, we, because we have had this site for two and a half years. Um, like we, we, we've had the site since well before, like six months before COVID um, lockdown started. Um, so not, not genius, um, to be paying, to be paying rent on a, on a place for two and a half years that is completely unused. Um, but I do feel that we were able to weather, to weather that. And I feel lucky that we didn't have, um, we didn't have staff that we had to stand down because we had opened a a hospitality, um, venue and, Throughout COVID, we've been thinking, you know, okay, so when's the right time to really push forward with, with building the group up? Um, and, you know, and I think it was about six months ago that we said, well, everyone's going to be vaccinated, so how can they possibly get the um, get, get COVID? Or, like, you know, the, everything is clearly going to be opening up. Uh, and, uh, and then... <laughs> Uh, a few months later, um, there was Omicron and <laughs> more Delta, and you know, so it 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 has felt like a really bad idea several times, even since we really started pushing forward six months ago or so. But I think slowly, you know, over the next few months, we'll we'll get back to some kind of closer to normality. And um, yeah, but um, Kaiju beer is a really fun brand, guys. So um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> cheeky bugger.
2: Uh, now, during yeah. COVID, you got your grant uh, for your canning line uh, from the Victorian government, which has very much been spruiking this uh, small-scale program. So what is it? How did you apply and how did you find out it existed? Uh, I know a lot of breweries have seen the success of their peers. Uh, they're looking at applying for grants. So how did it come about? Have you got any advice?
1: Yeah, I guess we, we saw that, that the grants were coming up and, you know, we've never really gotten a grant for anything else um before that, so uh, you know we put a we put a fair bit of work into into writing the application and um the so well they that one was a you write a like an expression of interest first and they liked our expression of interest and said you should apply, so we wrote the application um and yeah, I mean thankfully we were successful i think we we ticked all the all the boxes. We definitely had, um, you know, local uh, other local businesses that it would support, uh, and we were running out of capacity. Um, we we couldn't continue to grow with the equipment that we had at the time. So yeah, so it was really good to get that um, to get that grant from um, from the Victorian government. Um, yeah, but the, the scope of what we were trying to do kind of grew probably it tripled in size between when we got when we received the notification of the grant and and um and to what we've to what we're doing in the in the packaging um the packaging area of our of our brewery but um but certainly like really helpful um you know to get to get a, a grant a considerable kind of amount of money to put towards improving our facilities, improving the, the, the packaging line and um, and testing that we can do and stuff. It's been, yeah, it's really good.
2: Yeah, definitely. And and how have you found the Victorian government? Uh, this is sort of side note, but I'm doing a report on uh, the environment for breweries in each state, how well uh, each state supports their breweries, uh, very much focusing on things they can control, like licensing planning rather than excise, which is obviously federal. Um, but how have you found them? How have you found the, the state government?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, Look, the, the the people that we've that we've met from from state government have been, um, you know, they're they're great, and obviously they like they really want to help us to uh, to grow, and they and like they they're proud of our achievements and the achievements of the of the industry, uh, you know. Like it's hard, I, I I don't know if you remember, but like Melbourne used to be considered the epicenter of craft beer in Australia some time ago so I like you can only really compare to some of the some of the wins that have been had in other states like you know Queensland with uh, with their roadmap and um, and and licensing kind of stuff from a from a producer's perspective it's been um, it hasn't been too bad like licensing wise for us Um, yeah But I think there's a, there is a bit more special treatment in some of the other, some of the other states. Um, You know, I think breweries could be seen more as a, um, it could, there's a lot, there's there's still, there's still scope to, for, for breweries to be an even bigger tourism draw card Um, and that sort of thing that, and. So, for for government to kind of get on board with that uh, a, a bit more would be would be really helpful. There are certainly a lot of, a lot of areas that we'd that we'd love more help, but um, but you know we 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 can't complain too much.
0: We
2: discussed earlier locality and brand, um, and we're also seeing a lot of sub brands. So, Moo Brew did it recently, um, but lots of people are looking into it for other styles of beer, but also seltzers and, and other type of beverages. So. You've also got uh, Southeast Brewing and its Coast Beer, which was launched recently. So tell me more about it, and, and why did you want to go for that kind of sub brand strategy?
1: It is a it is a bit of a um, a funny story. So just to clarify, Southeast Brewing Company is it's our company, it's our proprietary limited, yeah, like the, so the top before, company, yeah. yeah. Before we had any any brands, before we had even Golden Axe cider, we were just we, we had to come up with a company name that wouldn't be used as a <laughs> as a brand name. So that was Southeast Brewing Company, and we came up with Golden Axe cider and Kaiju beer from there. Um, and one day, while we I think we had we had bought so we had bought the uh, the the little bus that we that we are putting in that we've put into the cantina um it wasn't in here yet uh and brett our um our marketing manager and i were we were talking about the bus and uh and you know said oh you know it's a coaster that's funny like you know because beer coasters and stuff and i was like oh yeah that's funny and and one of us said coaster coaster could be a good name for a beer and i was like we, we agreed that it was that it could be a good name for a beer and um so i jumped on the IP Australia website and um, and thought yeah let's 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 see what we can do with that so the so the beer kind of came from from the name so the bus the bus that's in um, in the in the cantina is is the coaster um, for that and the and the colour scheme of the of of the bus is the same as the is the same as the can we've got the blue blue white and uh, and so the Orangey. its like a two-tone, yeah, blue and white paint job, and the, with the orange upholstery in it, which is only partly coincidental. But um, but yeah, it's like yeah, I, it, we we kind of we we wanted to have a beer in the cantina that would that would kind of work as an easy drinker for people who brought their less craft enthusiast friends to come and have a drink. We wanted something to, to be able to say, oh, I like, you know, I like Great Northern or I like Carlton Draft or um, say Corona, just to have something that was more approachable for, for that kind of a customer. Yeah. And just coming up with that name, we thought that the idea had legs.
2: <laughs> so why didn't you want to put it under the Kaiju banner and make it part of that portfolio? Why did you want to make it completely separate? Um. I mean I say um, separate but you have the bus in the cantina so not totally separate but you know what I mean
1: No absolutely um we're pretty conscious of um of Kaiju beer being a brand that is about um you know bigger flavors and you know like even even crushes fairly is a pretty hoppy beer um to make something that was that was um more of a mainstream style of beer didn't feel right for Kaiju, to me.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: that's absolutely fair.
2: And on that note, uh, I believe it was Nat that, sa- that said that Kaiju would never brew anything under 6%, uh, and now obviously Crush has been a big success, you've done a few lower alcohol ones. Uh, come on, Nat, what's the story behind that?
0: Yeah, well, um, that is exactly it is exactly what I said so
2: uh, (laughs) (laughs) that's the problem with going on podcasts and doing interviews then it gets recorded and it's there forever
0: so at home i generally i was uh when i was brewing beers and people would would have them it was always like if it was over six percent everyone would be like yeah this is the beer this is the beer i want to be drinking just because you know they'd be like flavor starts at six or something yeah, so you know, everything that I made at home was IPAs, double IPAs. And I mean, I made a couple of pale ales, but there was nothing that I went, yeah, this is, was, it was always like, if you get more alcohol in there, then you can put more hops in there. You know, this is, this is a long time ago before session pale ales and, and all that kind of stuff. And it was, it's just a lot easier, really, to do that. Um, so doing, doing big beers was, was what I made most of and what I, what I liked making. Um, and yeah, when we first started, we were, at, uh, we bought a tank and put it into Cavalier. And so we had, you know, three and a half thousand liters of capacity. That was, that was as much beer as we could make in, you know, three weeks. Um, so doing something under that was just didn't even make sense. Um, cause we certainly weren't going to make something that, you know, is 5% that we're going to sell volumes of. It was, we make Big beers, and you know we make small amounts of them, and that's you know it makes it just makes more sense um, for the for the amount of uh, capacity that we had. So we did start making Robohop uh, before we had um, before we had our own brewery, and that was purely because I I made a I made an IPA for my mates um, Bucks Party. And it came in at 5.9, percent and it was was pretty awesome. So uh,
2: (laughs) changed your tune in that immediate moment,
0: did you? (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, we were drinking it, and Callum's like, "Jeez, this is this is awesome. I love this." And I was like, "It's 5.9, so we can't make it." But he was like, "No, I think we have to make this." Um, So it was yeah, it was 5.7 when we finally released it. Um, But I'm pretty sure we made that while we were still at Cavalier, but not not we we moved out of there pretty. Pretty soon after we did that. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, Crush was, it was just a pure, purely a concept beer that, you know, the, the name and everything just, I just woke up and I had the name in my head and I just went, oh yeah, Crush. That's like going to be really tropical, uh, something, something. And I just messaged Callum with those things. And he, he was like, yep, let's do that. And it was, you know, it made sense for it to be. To be under five percent, so that you could do volumes of it, and you know, plus having our own facility um, where we had capacity, and we could keep adding to capacity. It was like that's we can you know we can make large volumes of of beer now, so start stepping into that into that territory of of doing the sub five percent.
2: And was it just about capacity? How how much was it to do with consumer trends? We've seen a trend towards mid-strength and lower alcohol. I know you guys have worked in that space. So was it purely the constraints of your kit? I
0: don't know. I mean, it was. I had, I wasn't really thinking about making a, a pale ale, except that I woke up with that name in my head. So it was,
2: <laughs> and it worked and then, damn well.
0: Yeah, and then it was it was just like that. I mean, it was it was something that we we would have had. You know, we at some point. I think you have to have, you know, You have to make a a pale ale. You have to make a large volume product, or else you can't yeah. pay for your brewery.
1: Matt <laughs> may not have been thinking about it, but I, but I was. Um, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't push him too hard. My certainly. Um, my uh, my wife was was getting sick of uh, of uh, me just basically mooching off her and uh, and wanted. To, <laughs> wanted to, uh, for, you know, for us to get paid at some stage. Um, so, you know, you, you're always trying to chase out, is, is there a way that I could make enough money that Matt and I could get, actually get paid? paid. Um, <laughs> so like literally paid anything at all. Um, so that was, uh, you know, uh, so probably a year after we launched Crush, Matt and I had our first payday, you know, and like, that was just, it was, such an exciting you know such an exciting thing to do we just sort of looked at numbers and thought, oh i guess we could i guess we could pay ourselves it was exciting but it also felt wrong
2: <laughs> yeah it is unnatural you're supposed to be a pauper yeah. for your art didn't you know
1: yes that's right yeah
2: so has the success of crush changed your attitude towards product development or is it still like nat wakes up and wants to brew something so he does it like what's the process these days
0: i drink a lot of beers that I buy at Aldi um <laughs> when they get the specials in from Germany, you know it's reasonably fresh, and um, I have a almost three year old. So the idea of drinking uh, double IPAs every night and then waking up in the middle of the night if he doesn't want to sleep anymore is uh, not not a thing that I I want in my life. So yeah, definitely with our as far as what what we're what beers we're working on, they're mostly. Um, not the lower ABV, but you know, somewhere between four and five and a half percent. And then yeah, you know, for a we we do those. But while I, while I say that, we also just keep going. Yeah, well, let's make another IPA. Let's make another West Coast IPA that kicks ass. Let's just do another one of those because they're really great. Like the Space Cadet that we did for the Carwin Canvin. That was just a no-brainer. It was like, well, we're just going to do what we do the best, so do that. Um, the, the product of L, you know, is, is all all over the show, but there is a lot of, it, it, I'm doing, I'm, on my, my little kit, I'm doing a lot more of the, yeah, the, around about 5% beers.
2: So tell me, we spoke ages ago about Main Squeeze, uh, which is a lower ABV beer. How is that doing?
1: Yeah, so mateswiz is three point two percent, which is, you know, I I would say that's you know like right in the middle of the mid strength kind of kind of area, um, and I and it's certainly been um, been one of the one of the better moving uh, beers at Cantina so far. Um, yeah, it, it, and it just sort of it, it um it ticks along really well that beer, particularly. I mean, I guess particularly in summer, but. Um, just being a being a mid strength beer, it does kinda just fit into that fit into that slot. And look, it's a, it's it's just a delicious beer as well. Like it gives you so much satisfaction for the for the amount of uh for the amount of alcohol um that it's it's a it's a really uh a, a, almost a no brainer for me. I, I drink I I would drink that um fairly regularly. Um the Yeah, that one, but obviously it's like, it's a slightly different packaging compared to the, compared to the rest of the core range beers, but it does sit in our core, it sits in our core range. So, you know, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it continues to kind of do pretty well. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't sit at the level of crush or anything like that, but, um, but yeah, no, it's a, a, it's definitely one that I, that I like, and I'm certainly very proud of the, proud of the beer, it's great.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's only been a week, uh, but have you noticed a different mix of beers at the bar? I'd be intrigued to know what the split is between wholesale and on-prem.
1: It's definitely not, you know, like in the really high percentages of Crush, which is really cool. It's like, I mean, I love Crush, but it's, um, but it's nice to see people tasting our other beers. And one of the biggest sellers, potentially the biggest seller in the in. Um, in the cantina is pleasure cruise, which is the hazy pale ale that we've made specifically for here. Um, So it's exclusively on tap here and it just tastes amazing. You know, I love it. I love it when we, um, when we brew something for the first time and it just, and it just comes out, you know, just like amazing flavors and super, um, you know, easy drinking. It's yeah. So it's, that's, that's probably that might be the biggest seller, but yeah, like I said, main has been has sold has been going really well, and the and the big beers like we've got Westrides The Behemoth and Beetlejuice and Beyond the Black River, which was our uh, rum and bourbon barrel aged imperial stout um, that we made that we released last year, the um, Mutation Six, uh, all on tap, and they and they're actually they have just moved like people people order them and it's it's so cool to see that and they love them i mean i love them obviously but like it's just great to see other people really really loving them and they'll pick up a four pack for a takeaway um i i think that's uh, you know it's so it's so gratifying to see these beers that we love so much just you know um, performing really well.
2: On that note, uh, what's the situation with Golden Axe? Uh, because Cider's had a bit of a renaissance a few years ago, uh, but now it seems to have dropped off a little bit um, in the wake of other beer, uh, beers and beverages like Seltz's. Um Have you found that or not?
1: It certainly hasn't dropped off for us. <laughs> um, That's great. Yeah. Look, we, we're, we've we been in the position where we've had the relationship with um, our juice supplier for for so long, um, and uh, you know, it, and it, and that was that relationship was why we started the business in the first place. Because it's an important part of our of our portfolio, we try to make sure that we've always got uh, we've always got stock of the of of golden axe. It's really important to us to make sure that that stock's there. It is such a hard product to keep in stock, pretty much, because um, just the price of apples is. Like the biggest roller coaster, um, and so and sometimes you just can't get apples for juice. Like you just simply cannot get them, um, particularly leading up to um, to the harvest time, the apple harvest. It's never really slowed down much for us, particularly when we switched it to cans. That was that was great too, um, and then and it's and got it ranged in uh, in some of the Endeavour stores. Um, yeah, cider does really well. Like it's uh, you know it's it, it always it's it always sits there and and um and does nicely and it's and you know for me it's a really good one also to have in the in the cantina because after a couple of massive beers I want something that's refre- that refreshes my palate you know and that's and that's a good one for that for me not so much for Nat you know but um, but for me it's a good one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Nat, you're not a cider fan. Are you allowed to say that?
0: No, it's not that I'm not a cider fan. I have uh, trouble digesting the sugar that's in cider. Uh,
2: a lot of the, what we've been talking about uh, are things we've had to deal with as an industry as we mature and, and evolve uh, and professionalise, dare I say. Uh, how have you grown as a business but kept what is essentially kaiju?
1: I... Generally, see a lot of the the things that we've that we've had well, had to do, but that we've, we've done as we've as we've grown is really positive, and all of the things that um, you might kind of see as difficult things to do as you as you grow are generally really really good for people's happiness, well being, and um, and for quality of, of the beer. So you know things things like getting much better um, occupational. Health and safety um, systems in place has been, you know, those those sorts of things are, um, are so good, and they give you peace of mind, and they and they give staff confidence um, that they are in a safe place. They're working in a safe place, and um, and their concerns are heard. Also, you know, around uh, around the record keeping um, systems that we have in the brewery for beer quality, you know, as as we've grown, we've been able to to get things like um, beer 30 and those kinds of systems in place to improve the quality of of our beers and maintain and improve as we as we grow um, and and staff wise as, as well. You know, <laughs> we've been able to employ some some really some really great people in the business that um, that have experience in in you know, in bigger breweries like Mark, our head of production, um, you know, he's he's got the experience to to share with us to to really grow volume safely. You know,
2: so you guys have been in the industry ten years now, give or take. Uh, what are the biggest changes you've seen over that period, uh, for better or for worse?
0: I think uh, one thing that I've noticed the most is that the quality of beer has increased significantly across the board, like. The beer that you can buy is just so much better than it was. That's good. Callum's probably got a more insightful um, thing to say than me on this. (laughs)
1: Yeah, there's way too many competitors. Um, Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. (laughs) We have this discussion a lot about whether – We have a saturated market in Australia and where we're going. Uh, The US has obviously thousands of breweries and they've managed it. Australia follows a similar trajectory, uh, but with some obvious individual distinctions. Um, So what do you think? Are we saturated? Is that fair to say? And how do you think that this might impact us in coming years?
1: Um, Saturated, I think, you know, it just it just becomes, it is harder now to be successful as a brewery um, than it was maybe maybe like 10 years ago. But going into it um, with that understanding... You've got to be at it's. It's like I've I've always kind of thought you've you've got to be adding something to the conversation. Like this is beer as a conversation, but adding something to the conversation of beer. What what is your you know what's your point of point of difference? And you can definitely, there are brands that are that are starting up now that are that are coming out of the blocks like massive. You know, like I mean, this isn't sort of in the last twelve months, but um, grown hugely in the last twelve months. You know, it's something like. Heaps Normal, for example, the growth of no alcohol beer has been, you know, that's a, that's a really unique and engaging offering. Um, and really that's, you know, I think in any, in any business, what you have has to, has to have a good market market fit. The product market fit's got to be right. And if that's right, then you can still make it clearly. Yeah, but definitely harder. You can't just, you know, if if you're coming in as someone who thinks whose friends said that they make a good homebrew, and you put together, you know, you you get your uh, a, like a 200 liter kit from China, and like it's a, it's a hard slog. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say is there are still there are still pathways to success in the beer industry, but definitely. Um, the challenges are hard. The, the, the challenges are different now than they were ten years ago.
2: Do you have a five-year plan? What's in the future for kaiju?
1: The literal kaijus that we put underground are coming to maturity in under five years, so they'll come out and like, yeah,
2: take over that Melbourne. Would be
1: the kaiju of oh, Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, I'm thinking too small, aren't I?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you What do you think we ever did when we when we went to, you know, um, to Queensland in the past? Yeah, you know, we were planting cajus. So, um, <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Um, no, that's a that is a really tough one. Particularly coming like you know now that a, a couple of uh, massive projects have come to kind of coming to fruition is to you know, you Find know, put, project. Yeah, we love project. I love project. I get bored otherwise, so I'm sure there'll be I'm sure there'll be something else to to work on.
0: As far as pr- production facilities concerned, we're just streamlining packaging. That's that's the big thing that's happening for us, um, but that's not something that anyone will see. So you know, <laughs> uh,
2: but yeah. we know about it now. So that's the main yeah. thing. It's ticking along in the background. Yeah. Anyone listening in, I have Nat and Callum on video so I can see them. Uh, and they're both looking a little bit sleepy at the minute. I'm hoping that a full night's sleep is in your <laughs> future.
1: Well, so I've got a I've got a um, an eight-month-old baby as well. So, yeah, there's not a whole lot of sleep going on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's mad. Uh, and that's another thing. Uh, you've both got really young kids. So what's the secret of running a business, brewing beer, and keeping another human alive? Uh, how the hell do you do it?
0: Uh, routine and being extremely strict with him. <laughs> I, are you I, talking
2: about your baby or are you talking about Callum?
0: Uh, yeah, both. Yeah.
1: No, it's can more I for say, him yeah. to me. Yeah. I think it's just about having uh, a really great team that we work with and really wonderful wives, partners that, that we have um, who have always been super supportive and um you know, and a massive part of the, of the reason that we're
2: here. <laughs> That's good. We like that. I'll cut that bit and you can send it to your partners. How about that? I like that. <laughs> well, thank you so much, uh, Nat and Callum Reeves from Kaiju Beer. Thanks for coming on Beer is a Conversation.
1: Thanks, Claire. and absolutely absolute yeah. Don't forget, if you like what we
0: do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at BruiseNews.com.au. All letters received will receive a Brews News bottle opener. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because beer is a conversation.